We are recording. Yay. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll just start with the intro. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sandra, and I'm one of your hosts of Oi with the Terror Already. I'm your other host, Danielle. And welcome back to episode 15 <laughs> of Oi with the Terror Already. I can't. <laughs> it just took us like 40 40- no, okay, Ow. 57 minutes to try to get this to work, so. Yes, gotta love old computers. Thank you, Carrie. I'm gonna give a shout out to Carrie. Yes. And her boyfriend, Mike, for helping me, and Carrie letting me use her her work computer. Oh. <laughs> or her yeah. computer to help us record this episode, because my old computer is, needs to be replaced, so. Yay Thank for you, tech- Carrie. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Carrie. Best roommate ever. Thanks to technical difficulties. <laughs> oh, old Max. They're good. They just... Ah, this one. I'm excited. I know. I'm excited because I'm going to get a new computer this week. <laughs> so I only have this for four more days. So yeah, this is basically just like going to also be like the oi of the week corner at this yep. point. I think... This, I'll, uh, yeah, this will be my oi of the week as well. I mean, I did have another, I had another oi of the oh, week. okay. But I don't know which one surpasses it, so I guess we'll do oi of the week now. Yeah, sure, why not? All right. We um, set the rules. Yeah, you know. All right, so my oi of the week happened <laughs> yesterday. I went to a friend's birthday party actually Bridget the one who requested uh you did the story for last week oh so it's her birthday yesterday happy birthday Bridget and she had a pirate themed birthday party and I am the only one that dressed up as a pirate (laughs) (laughs) I showed up and all of her friends were having like they had like an eye patch or they had like a shirt and I was in full pirate costume (laughs) oh wow yep so was everyone impressed? They were. They were actually, like, super impressed. And I was like, yes, because I dressed up. But it was still fun. <laughs> it was a good time. It was just that moment of, like, I hope other people dress up. And then I get there and no one else is dressed up. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Where do you get just an eye patch? Like, usually if you get a costume, doesn't it come with everything? I... Like, where do, you, where do you only buy an eye patch from? I'm guessing Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. Or like they all went to Pirate's Cove and played mini golf and got a free one. The other thing too (laughs) is um, the costume came with a bandana and I never wore bandanas so I didn't know how to put it like use it. So I had to watch like three YouTube tutorials on how to like tie a bandana. (laughs) So now I know how to. So my little like eight-year-old self is proud of me now. Was a party fun after that? Yeah, it was. <laughs> like we had a cookout, we got to make s'mores. It was a lot of fun. It was just like I don't know. I I also don't really dress up, so the fact that I kind of went all out was like okay. Yep. I'll I'll, te- <laughs> I'll like text fun. you a picture. Yeah, I'll text oh, you. Oh, okay. Photo. I did take I took like a one in the mirror to like my mom to be like, "This is my costume for the party," and she's like, "Oh, you look cute. Good job." <laughs> This was a birthday party, yeah, you said? Oh, okay. Yep. But it was fun. Even, yeah. And everyone liked my costume, so it was a win. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the last costume party I went to, but it is fun to, like, dress up. Yeah. Something. Although getting in the lifts, because I had to take a lift there and back, that was interesting, because neither lift driver said anything. They were just like, oh, it's totally normal to see, like, a 29-year-old girl dressed as a pirate <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Did you have another oi of the week or was it just what happened in the last hour? <laughs> yeah, that basically topped what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. I think of my like if that hadn't just happened, I was just gonna say like it's hot. Or like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really have anything that interesting. So <laughs> Oh, you'll actually be proud of me because this does concern you. <laughs> So this whole last week, I was super productive. So I basically got everything done for your wedding. (laughs) Like I RSVP'd, I booked Mm. the hotel, 
I got your wedding gifts, which should come this week. Yay! I felt super proud of myself because I was like, yes, Danielle's wedding is basically all set to go. I just need to <laughs> As get I them. recall, you were getting the filet mignon. Yes. I think that might be the number one pick at this point. I'm just curious what everyone chooses. At one point, Seabass was winning, but now I think Flaming Yon has the lead. Yeah, it was between the... Because <laughs> you guys have a vegetarian option, the filet mignon, Seabass, and a chicken dish. Yeah. And for me, I was like, well, I have, I've had like a lot of chicken recently. So for some reason, I was like, the filet mignon sounds really good. It's supposed to be like adult, so I'm going to go for that. Yeah, it's supposed to be good. It seems, it definitely seems like it's popular at least. Yeah, but so. I'm excited. And it also just got me really excited for your wedding coming up. No. So. <laughs> October. Yeah, it's coming closer than it's I like, think. Because it's like right around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, four month-ish. I guess right under four months at this point. But yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It's good though. It's a good crazy. Yeah. It'll be fun. Uh this whole time you're talking, I'm just like praying that it's actually recording your audio because it's not showing any lines. It's probably just not showing any lines because of the computer mic. Yeah. It's done this to me before where it hasn't okay. shown lines side and i you've emailed oh, yeah. me the episode. that's true i'm like oh good it did record <laughs> at least i'm not getting the health check thing like i always got with my work computer where it was like you have too much storage like you need to yeah i didn't realize you actually recorded each week <laughs> on your work computer yeah i got rid of those files before i turned it back okay <laughs> They so yeah, maybe anyway. that was why I gave you an issue that one time, like with the space or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, they wipe it anyway, so. Right, right. I'm just like, I don't, it's fine. So, I guess I'll go first this week. So, I know I told you this morning that I couldn't email you any pictures because it would give it away, but I actually literally changed my topic like three hours ago. Oh, Okay. I was gonna do like two spooky like poemy type stories and then I figured that they weren't long enough so yeah so that's how I was saying I was gonna do like two like creepy poemy type stories and then I realized they were not long enough so I changed my topic um so this week I am talking about St. Paul's Episcopal Church Cemetery in Key West Florida um not only is it only the first it's the first cemetery that was established in Key West the original church was built in 1838 and was then destroyed by a hurricane on October 11th in 1846. It also suffered from a fire in 1886. And according to what I could find online, there are actually several spirits that seem to haunt the church, specifically in the cemetery part where they give all the tours. So the most well-known haunt of the cemetery is a man, um, I couldn't find his first name, but he's known as Fleming. And he's a 19th and he's from the 19th century. He has like 19th century attire and he also appears as like a flimsy white vapor. Many believe that he's a specific man who goes by the last name Fleming and some feel that he's upset because of how he presents himself to the people who see him. And others believe that he acts this way because his gravesite has been disturbed so many times throughout the years and because of the reconstruction that they've had to do. So because where Key West is. They've suffered a lot of hurricanes. They suffered, like I said, a lot of fires. And during some of those hurricanes, the bodies that were originally buried ended up being like swept down the street and they had to find them and they had to bring them back. And then they had to do like a mausoleum type style build as opposed to the traditional like under the ground. Yeah. Um, so nobody knows why he's really there, but that's what they believe. And all that they really know is that usually his apparition apparition will startle many of the tourists. The second spirit that haunts there is a sea captain. Um, his name was Captain Thomas Randolph. And he appears to take great pleasure in actually frightening the visitors that come to the cemetery. He was known in town to be the one to go after all of the pirates and get rid of all the pirates that in town. And he is not a nice man. Like in his life he was very mean and horrible 
Um, so some say that he still patrols looking for other pirates to kind of kick out. Um, his spirit's really angry and is ready to taunt people. And those who've encountered him say that they've also, even when it's like a really nice day, they've also seen like violent winds come rushing through the trees that sits right next to his grave. So even though like it can be a really nice calm day, they'll see like kind of weird weather patterns near his grave. Hmm. The third and creepiest because it concerns children is not just one ghost, but it's actually believed to be a group of between five and 12 children. And they were sent to their fiery death in 1832 when the pastor attempted to burn down the church. And he did this because he discovered that his wife was cheating on him with a deacon and that they were having an affair. So he literally went into a jealous rage, grabbed a bunch of kerosene, walked it down to the church, threw it on the church, and then just set the church on fire. He did not realize that there was a choir practice going on with a child, like the choir practice being all children. And he not only killed his wife and the deacon, but he killed the children as well. So now their spirits have been seen huddling around. There's this like specific angel that they have at the graveyard. And they're usually seen around there. And many have also heard their voices. I was able to find or to hear two stories from tour guides. Um, These stories were featured on Most Terrifying Places in America because I love that show. So Yeah, it's good. From what they were able to say, and they couldn't say much about the actual like pastor that burned down the church because he died years later. So he was obviously never accused. But the church then um, burned down in 1886 and then again in 1920. And the cause of those fires is believed to be the actual pastor who originally set the church on fire. There's no proof, but that's just who they assume because they still think Mm. even though he passed, he's still like super angry. So a tour guide was interviewed on the show and he was explaining how he was just giving, it was just a regular day. He was just giving a regular tour And one of the guests came up and said, you need to turn your lantern down. So I guess this tour, I guess they do some daytime tours, but they do night tours as well. And the guy said, you need to turn your lantern down. And the tour guide said, what do you mean? And the guy said, listen, I don't care if you believe me or not, but there are five children hiding behind the angel statue over there and they're terrified of fire. And they want you to turn your lantern down or they want the lantern to go out. And then the tour guide was like, okay, that's a little weird, but sure, I'll I'll turn it down. So he starts to turn his lantern out. Five other people actually come up to him and they were saying that they were seeing the children huddled behind the angel too. Mm. So that's kind of creepy. And then the second story that I was able to get was, so a tour guide was just, I guess this was during the day, was just giving the normal tour and he's near Thomas Randolph's grave, who was the captain who got rid of all the pirates. And as he's giving his tour, he feels two hands reach out around and they kind of grab him around his throat. And then a few seconds later, they immediately let go. So he became really concerned and freaked out. So he quietly led the tour group away from the grave. And other people have also reported specifically near his that grave that they've had their hair being pulled. And at night, they just they don't enjoy going there and they just get an overall really creepy feeling. So... If you're interested in the episode um, where those two stories are from, it's from, again, Most Terrifying Places in America, Season 1, Episode 6, and the title of the episode is History of Horror, and that came out in about 2010. So yeah, um, I picked this because I thought it was really interesting, and as someone that used to live in Florida, I kind of wanted mm. to see what like stories were going on in the South, as opposed to I feel like I usually stick to like the North or the no- Northeast. And I've definitely heard of St. Paul's Church in the cemetery, but it was kind of hard to find a lot online. Every website I was looking at was giving me like different dates of when the church was established or built. But the one thing that they all agreed on were these like three, two spirits in that group of children spirits as well. So it was interesting that that's the one thing that they did kind of agree on was that mm. people have had these encounters. Mm. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm sorry children ghosts freak me out (laughs) but also just really really sad about that particular story 
Yeah, yeah, it seems very dark to burn down churches. Church? Yeah. It's creepy. I, like, I understand if you're mad, but, like, I feel like there would be other ways <laughs> than just, like, uh, let me burn the church down, because I know you're inside. Right. So, and then the pirate, the pirate one I found, or the captain one I found interesting, because that was a big deal, especially, like, back in the 1830s of pirates and trying to keep the town safe and especially in the Key West area of Florida, where it is kind of like an island. Like, you mm-hmm. have to take a boat to get there. Mm-hmm. And I think the other interesting fact is that at this point on Key West itself, there are probably actually more people dead than there are alive because hmm. it's so small and it's been established for so long. So I don't know if that's still the truth, but at one point there were more dead people than alive people. Which is interesting to think about. Yeah. I have been, I've only been to Key West once. Oh, cool. And I like to go back. I remember I did some kind of trolley tour. It wasn't like ghost related or anything. It was just mm-hmm. like a, like, just normal kind of hop on, hop off type idea. Yeah. And I remember one of the stops was going to um, Ernest Hemingway's house. Oh, cool. And like seeing like uh, his cat's descendants who had, I think, like six toes because they all like interbreeding with his cats or something. (laughs) I guess he had a lot of cats. I don't know. I mean, that's not like the worst thing to have is a lot of cats. Yeah, I remember the house was cool. Like, I think they had like these like distinctive shutters because there are a lot of storms there. So they're these like big like storm shutters. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Well, I feel like they kind of have to because, like, they still get hurricanes. So, like, they have to have some form of mm-hmm. protection. Especially if yeah. a house once belonged to Ernest Hemingway. Like, you want to preserve that as best you can. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems like a big stop on the tour. So, yeah. Well, it's definitely popular. I think, like, they also had a Ghost and Gravestones tour down there as well. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Which I didn't realize Ghost and Gravestones was, like, not just Boston. <laughs> I forgot for a second. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, an actual like, company. Like, they're in a lot of places, not just Boston. Mm. So now if I ever want to, like, because I do want to go down there. I've never been. So I think it'd be cool to, like, go and actually, like, check it out and start maybe seeing, like, a bunch of places that we talk about. Would be yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, it would be cool to visit all, like, the, like, um... I've been wanting to go to Savannah because I feel like they would have a go a good like ghost tour there. Think so. I, I've been. I think I've been to Savannah. I think I went when I was like twelve. Because mm. my cousins that live in South Carolina, and I feel like my family was like, let's just go down to Georgia for a bit and just make a trip of it. So, yeah, I remember wanting to go to some. What was her name? I forget her name, but she's the one that came up with like the donut burger, like the. She got in trouble a few years ago for like issues with racism, but she's like, oh, real- Paula Dean, <laughs> the butter. Yep. Butter lady. Yes. Also the butter lady because she had a restaurant <laughs> and I remember really wanting to go. And my parents were like, we do not have time to go to her. Uh. Restaurant. <laughs> I was like, fine. Little did they know this was a good recommendation. <laughs> yeah, like Fine. I guess I'll go another time. So I don't know if her restaurant's still down there or not. But yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, yeah, the South is mysterious to me. I've only really been to Florida, like while visiting the South. I am going to South Carolina in September. I'm okay. excited for that. But yeah, I do want to. I want to explore. Like, there are so many like cool historical, like old places that yeah. seem fun to visit. I've definitely done this, the ghost tours in South Carolina, and I recommend those. Those are a lot of fun. Mm. Um, did I do a ghost tour in Georgia? I don't think we did. My mom, like, loves ghost tours, so usually whenever we go oh. somewhere, she's the one that's like, do you want to do a ghost tour? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I get it from her. <laughs> Most of the ghost tours I've done at this point have, like, all, except for maybe one, have been in New England, I think. Mm. It was, like, Newport... Matt or Boston and then Salem. Yep. And then Dave and I did one in Provincetown. So they may all literally be in New England. Yep. Three of them in Mass, apparently. Yep. Got them. <laughs> yeah. But you gotta love it. 
I don't know. Ghost yeah. tours are so much fun. Like the one that you and I went on in um New. God, you just said it. Newport. Yeah, like, that was like Newport. Newport. Oh, and Boston. Yeah, we did too. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It's also just a cool way to like learn about the history. Yeah. And like walk around and like see things because then I feel like you and I like learned a few new places we could go. I know. Yeah, like how we ended up behind like um one of the first stories the guy had for us was like, yeah, all these murders happened in this alley. And we were like, we had lunch in the restaurant like attached to this alley. That's good to know. Yeah, yay we didn't know that before or like i forget where we ended up but where we took pictures of like the window and he was like you will sometimes see, like, yeah that was a yeah. church like if you take a picture of the top window sometimes you can see like handprints like, yeah bought like something and you and i were taking pictures and you got the one with all of like the handprints and i'm looking at my phone and i'm like i see yes. nothing i mean literally took it at the same time i know that was weird uh now my phone has been haunted ever since <laughs> maybe. maybe it has been yeah. maybe not. i don't know maybe your computer's haunted that's why it's not working maybe i think my computer's just old it's old and yeah. it's like angry also i haven't really like touched it like more a lot in the past like year because i've been using my work computer so it has been like the spare, the spare computer. Mm, I mean, and uh, you said you got it in 2014. So yeah. in computer years, that is like grandma age. I mean, like you got to give it to Mac. Like it's pretty good. I know the best computer is, well, now I have this. Dave recommended it to me. Basically looks like it's designed for like an 18 year old boy who wants to play World of Warcraft. <laughs> 36 hours a week and it also feels like it weighs 20 pounds but it seems like it's probably indestructible knock on ikea wood yeah i feel like <laughs> pcs are the ones that are you have a do you have a pc i have a pc yeah i, I had a mac in uh, college and i have a mac that dave is trying to bring back to life at one point i messed up the screen and that got fixed. And then probably a week after that, I messed up the keyboard. <laughs> nice. So Davis, <laughs> I kept it like I haven't used it in five years at this point. But we kept it and it still works. Like you put the charger in and Dave is going to try to fix the keyboard on it. So maybe we'll have a fully functioning Mac. But yeah, they're definitely really nice. I feel like... PCs you could throw <laughs> at the wall and they'd be fine. And Macs would not. But I feel like Macs might have a longer longevity. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, in college after that Mac I had at that point, um, I think I broke it somehow. I got an HP, and I think that lasted, like, two years before that just died. Like, there was an issue with, I don't know, something with the battery. It just, like, wouldn't work mm -hmm. so then i got like another hp yeah. after that and that lasted like two or three years <laughs> so i was like really they look cute but apparently don't live long. yeah no i don't think i don't know the last time i had a pc it was like i think my used my mom's yeah. old one in like high school and it was like you know early 2000s like bigger yeah than like like 30 pounds like literally like that's like could, almost like, two of like, a uh, my cat wanted, like, he would be 36 pounds <laughs> if there were two of him i'm guessing this is tim i'm hoping yes this is tim. <laughs> i'd be like wow Georgia got yeah, big. she's bigger than tim no no <laughs> that'd be scary <laughs> that'd be terrifying. Yeah. she's still so young yeah i don't think she'll grow anymore she's probably nine pounds at this point i think so no that's not bad yeah she'll definitely be smaller than tim <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah
okay. guess your turn. Yeah. I have no idea what your story is. You sent me a photo, and I was like, "I this could be anything." I yeah, don't know. I sent a, a photo of basically a smoldering brick building in black and white. Yep. Um. Yeah. Most of the photos were yep. like that. Like it was a lot of uh buildings that have been destroyed or like old pictures of people. So those are the types of photos yeah. I could have sent you for this. I mean. I mean, my guess is that I'm looking at, I'm just looking yeah. at the photo now on my phone, but I'm guessing it's like a fire. Yes. Fire is involved. It's one of the things involved with this. Okay. But there actually okay. is kind of a weird connection with what you said about burning down a church that also happened in this. So when you said okay. that, I was like, oh, wow, we both have church burning stories this week, apparently. Completely by accident. <laughs> That definitely will not be the name of the title for the episode, Church Burning Stories, no. but it's just a weird coincidence. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is what I like about not telling each other what we do. It makes it more fun. <laughs> yes. It does. So I definitely have a different type of story this week. Mm-hmm. It is. It involves a few uh what's the word kind of tones that i haven't really touched upon yet in the other episodes this is actually um a pretty big event that happened in the u.s in 1921 but it's been purposefully kind of like swept under the rug either because of feeling ashamed of themselves or not wanting to cause more problems uh this was never taught in history classes in the united states And even descendants of survivors of the city, their family wouldn't talk about it or they would talk about it in hushed tones because they were kind of scared of what would happen to them. Like that's how like messed up and destructive this story is that I'm going to tell you. And what I'm building up to is the 1921 Tulsa Massacre. Oh, I've heard of this. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, I only learned about it from another podcast. I'm going to assume, I don't know, either My Favorite Murder or Stuff You Missed in History Class. Probably one of those. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, it's basically, it's never really been talked about in school. Um, People who have still remained in that area who are part of it don't feel comfortable talking about it. And it is, it recently had its 100th anniversary a few days earlier, actually, which is another reason I was like, I feel like I need to do this now. Yeah. So the Tulsa race massacre is one of the worst acts of racial violence in the United States, but it has remained one of the lesser known throughout history. And the massacre takes place in a neighborhood of Tulsa called Greenwood. Mm -hmm. Greenwood was an affluent neighborhood in Tulsa, which was built by black people for black people so they could prosper. It was destroyed by a white mob in 1921. It is thought that news reports on this attack were largely and intentionally quieted, which resulted in a lack of attention being brought to the massacre. The whole massacre lasted 16 hours. It started on May 31st and continued to June 1st, 1921. 300 people were killed and thousands were left homeless. Greenwood, which was also known as America's Black Wall Street, was a community where possibility seemed endless and where there were places to work, live, shop, play, and worship. So how did this community literally end up in flames? At the time, Greenwood housed about 10,000 residents and was full of both commerce and family life. And while I was doing research on this, I actually found this cool article and interactive map from the New York Times. Um, It looks like it was published last week this year. And it's like... It's an actual normal article, but then throughout it, there's a type of 3D interactive map that shows like a reconstruction of how the Greenwood area looked at the time. And it like kind of like 
shows you the different blocks and what businesses were on each block. And then you could like hover over each building and it tells you like who owned it and what the business was and everything. So that was like a really cool way. It's like instead of like just reading an article, you can actually see for yourself how the neighborhood looked at that time. So it's just like so much more impactful to see what was destroyed instead of like just reading numbers. At least for me, I feel like I could like am a visual learner. So I definitely recommend checking that out on uh, the New York Times. The blocks were aligned with grocery stores, hotels, nightclubs, billiard halls, theaters, doctor's offices, and churches. Greenwood was full of promise and hope, but this was destroyed in less than 24 hours. Residents of Greenwood were brutally killed and their homes and businesses were wiped out. An armed white mob of furious looters and arsonists were the cause of this destruction. A major factor which drove the violence was resentment towards the black community and their prosperity. From a financial perspective, the massacre results in a loss of $1.8 million in property loss claims, which is about $27 million in today's money. A giant loss of the massacre was thought of what could have been from future generations of the black children and grandchildren. This is a quote from Brenda Nails Ashford, who was actually in her early 60s now. And her grandfather and his brother owned a shoe shop in Greenwood Avenue that was destroyed. So she says, what if we had been allowed to maintain our family business? If they could have been allowed to carry on that legacy, there is no telling what we could be now, end quote. Greenwood Avenue was made up of 100 blocks of businesses. More than 70 of these businesses were operated out of one, two, and three-story red brick buildings. All of these, except for one couple, was owned by black entrepreneurs. There was also a cabaret theater and cigar shops. Quote, My grandfather often talked about how you can enjoy a full life in Greenwood, that everything you ever needed or wanted was in Greenwood, and you never had to go anywhere, said Star Williams, 40 years old, and she is the granddaughter of Otis Granville Clark, who was 18 at the time of the massacre. And she goes on to say that he talked about seeing Black success and how his sense of identity and pride came from Greenwood, end quote. So another example of a business there was an upscale restaurant called bell and little cafe and this was owned by Susie bell and her brother and i guess they were known for having really good food and their specialty was like six courses six course dinners and apparently this was written about frequently in like the tulsa newspaper i think it's called the tulsa star So the businesses were largely owned by Tulsa's most prominent black citizens. At night for fun, there were various options available for entertainment. Survivors of the massacre told relatives about getting gussied up to meet in Greenwood on Thursdays for Maid's Night Out. Uh, Maid's Night Out was for black domestics who were live-in workers who cleaned the homes of white residents across town and they were given Thursday off. African-Americans who migrated to Tulsa after the Civil War had dreams of starting new chapters and wanted the freedom of starting their own businesses, while others worked as maids, waiters, chauffeurs, I don't know if I said that right, yeah, chauffeur? Chauffeurs? That sounds like the thing you blow into in the synagogue. Yeah, maybe that's... (laughs) I think... The car drivers. Yeah, because they... Yeah, they take you from... Yeah, that makes sense if well, they're a yeah. Uh, yeah, shoe shiners and cooks <laughs> for Tulsa's new oil class. Residents of Greenwood held more than 200 different types of jobs. 40% of the residents were professionals or skilled craftspeople. This included doctors, pharmacists, carpenters, and hairdressers. Um, and there were also women-owned businesses there. One was from Mary E. Jones Parish, who was a teacher and a journalist and operated a typing school. And another business owner who was a woman was Mabel B. Littler, who owned and ran the Little 
Rose Beauty Salon. And I think I mentioned earlier her, it was her husband who was running the restaurant with his sister. Mm -hmm. So all of like everyone basically knew everyone who owned the businesses. And so everyone had some kind of connection because it was a time of segregation. African-Americans did not patronize white owned shops. So Greenwood thrived from the support of black owned businesses. Quote, black folks faced an economic detour, said Hannibal B. Johnson, an author and the education chair for the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission. When they approached the gates to the wider Tulsa economy, they were turned away, so they ended up creating their own largely insular community, end quote. The destruction on the neighborhood of Tulsa started on May 30th when there were two teenagers riding in an elevator in the Drexel building in downtown Tulsa. Dick Rowland, 19, was a black shoe shiner, and Sarah Page, 17, was a white elevator operator. So no one knows for sure what happened, but apparently Mr. Rowland, the shoe shiner, somehow tripped on something and apparently grabbed on to the elevator operator, Sarah. And apparently she was so freaked out by this that she screamed and ran away. And then this became known as a potential like sexual assault incident. Mm -hmm. So that did not bode well for Greenwood. The following day, Roland was arrested and jailed in Tulsa County Courthouse. And that afternoon, the Tulsa Tribune published a story on the front page essentially calling out Roland for attacking the elevator operator. And it was this event that launched a lynch mob to assemble at the courthouse. A group of armed black Tulsans who were also World War I veterans offered to help protect Roland, but they were turned away twice by the sheriff. As the men started to leave, white onlookers started antagonizing the black veterans and a scuffle quickly ensued over a gun. It was this clash that ignited the start of Greenwood's armed destruction. Some white rioters were even deputized and were given weapons by civil officials. Near dawn the next day, a white mob descended on Greenwood. The mob uh, shot at black people randomly who were in the streets. They would ransack homes and stole money and jewelry. Survivors recounted people holding torches walking towards their homes. And those people burnt the houses to the ground with the survivors watching on as this happened. They reportedly set fire to houses block by block. In addition to all of this chaos, white pilots flew airplanes dropping dynamite over Greenwood. This aerial attack in Tulsa is known as one of the first in American history. In the end, 35 blocks were burned to the ground. Around three, There were around 300 deaths with hundreds injured. 8,000 to 10,000 people were left homeless. And more than 1,470 homes were burned or looted. Eventually, 6,000 people were detained in internment camps. Two dozen grocery stores were destroyed, as well as 31 restaurants and four drugstores. After the massacre, the city of Tulsa placed blame on the black residents of Greenwood. The white community prospered while the black community struggled. One of the reasons why this event was left in the dark was due to the fear felt by black community members who thought it was too dangerous for them to speak out about it. In fact, black Tulsans never learned about the massacre in any history classes. White supremacy capitalized on this destruction and circulated photographs of burning bodies and destroyed buildings via postcards. Uh, Some buildings that were impacted from the massacre include a Booker T. Washington school, which opened in 1913 with 14 students, and moved into a three-story brick building in 1920, and it would later serve as a hospital and relief center after the massacre. The Mount Zion Baptist Church was among a half dozen other churches in Greenwood that burned. It was Tulsa's largest black church. 
Greenwood was rebuilt in the years following the massacre, and it had started to prosper again for a little while, but this was halted due to urban renewal and other factors. Immediately after the massacre, survivors returned home to ruins. They were, they were left with two options, either to leave Tulsa to start a new life or stay in Greenwood and try to rebuild. The people who stayed worked on rebuilding their lives very quickly. According to Scott Ellsworth, the author of The Groundbreaking, an American City and its Search for Justice, quote, Greenwood wasn't a gift from anyone. It was created by the citizens of Greenwood who withstood the tragedy of 1921 and rebuilt it again. Greenwood is the story of resilience. It is the story of courage, end quote. As mentioned earlier, there were multiple reasons that the 1921 Tulsa massacre was lesser known, especially considering the amount of violence and destruction. For decades, the city of Tulsa intentionally ignored and covered up the events of what happened in Greenwood. Many of the descendants said that they only learned about the mob and killings as adults, and even at that point, it was recounted in hushed tones. Leroy Gibbs II, who was 52, is the grandson of Ernestine Gibbs, a survivor of the massacre. She was 17 when the violence unfolded. Leroy remembers the pain in his grandmother's eyes uh, when she would talk about what happened. There would be a certain point uh, she would reach when she would talk about the destructions, and when it was too painful, she would start talking about where they are today. Some business owners forced to rebuild experienced successful second chapters. The Williams family, who owned Dreamland Theater, a confectionery, and East End Garage, were among the most successful before the massacre stayed to rebuild. Mr. Smitherman, the civil rights activist who ran the Tulsa Star, eventually landed in Buffalo, where he became the publisher of the Buffalo Star, later named Empire Star. He was among several black Tulsans indicated for, quote, inciting a riot and was exonerated posthumously. Another business owner, James Nails, opened a shoe shop with his brother Henry. The family also owned a dance pavilion and a skating rink there. They rebuilt the business, but it never fully recovered, and James eventually left Tulsa. In recent times, there have been searches conducted along the Tulsa River for potential mass graves of Black people. From a documentary called Tulsa Fire and Forgotten, which actually Dave and I watch, what's it called? Not Sling, Locast? Yeah, Locast, I think. And it's like if you don't want cable, you get some local channels free. So we were just browsing through it, and then all of a sudden, this was literally playing, like, live. It's a documentary called Tulsa Fire and Forgotten, and Dave got to it, and he's like, wait, isn't this what your story's about? So then I just started writing down notes as we were watching it. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy timing, just like a day ago, basically. Um, that is crazy. It's kind of weird. So in the documentary, from what I was watching at that point, there was a reporter, an award-winning reporter for the Washington Post named Deneen Brown, who actually had ancestors from uh, either o Oklahoma or Tulsa specifically. So she was a reporter and she was doing research on all of this. And she was discussing the importance of helping descendants of victims get more information on their ancestors. And they were discussing in the documentary how uh, there's currently an investigation that was reopened. And they're trying to find where all the mass graves are of people that were killed. Like, apparently a lot of that is unknown. So they're trying to find that information. And they have, like, scientists and people trying to discover that so that's interesting that that's going on now an investigation was recently reopened and there is now a pending lawsuit with discussions on how and whether to compensate families of the tulsa massacre victims at this point no compensation has been paid by court order or legislation in addition no one has been prosecuted or punished for the destruction of the original neighborhood of greenwood
and there's an ongoing effort to keep the memory alive of the massacre. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's just crazy, too, that it's a hundred years ago. I think, because I've heard of it before, but it's not something we learned in school. Mm -hmm. I think I heard it on, like, the news or something. Like, there was a lot of news surrounding it maybe two Mm. years ago. Uh, Like, I saw, like, an ABC thing. They were interviewing people, and everyone was like, everybody should know about this. Like, how say how many people died they said around 300 but it sounds like they don't know for sure because of all the mass graves that are still hidden yeah it's interesting too because like in boston we have like the boston massacre yeah which is like i think maybe 10 people not a lot like were killed and a lot of people were injured and it was obviously a big event but like the fact that we have like Mm -hmm. a spot where Mm -hmm. it happened like it's really talked about and then you have something like this, which is like a lot more people were killed, and it's I not know, about. like obviously something is wrong with this. Like it's just weird. Yeah, like it should be talked about, and it should be taught in schools, and it should like people should find out like oh if they're related to somebody who like died in it. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird how it's like very hush. I know. I know, I literally, I remember, I don't know the name of the class, a class I had to take in high school about history, and I remember specifically a segment we had where we were doing, we had a project about massacres, and they were like, oh, compare a U.S. massacre to a non-U.S. massacre, and the U.S. one was Boston Massacre, and then we compared it to, like, the Tiananmen Square Massacre, and I was like, well, maybe it would have been more interesting yep. to do a Tulsa. I don't remember learning that in this massacre class. Like, yeah. No, but I wonder. I wonder what class that was. It was for. that tiny blonde woman. I think it was like ninth grade or Ms. what was her Bailey? name? Maybe blonde, but dressed like really nicely, but was like super. Friendly. Yeah, I feel like it was for her class. Yeah, I don't know what class would have been for learning massacre. Maybe it was like Western civilization. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know if she taught Westiv. Maybe it was for American. No, it wouldn't be American government. I don't know. American identities. I don't know. This is where like I kind of blocked out high school. <sighs> yeah. Because I feel like that is a project that they would they would give us but yeah (laughs) i mean i think because everyone like if you hear massacre like people are like oh yeah the boston massacre it's like yep the most well-known but do you think also another reason why people are starting to talk about it so much is because of things like black lives matter yeah i mean and uh what i how i told you there was something yesterday that was it was like a program i think it was on pbs it was basically dedicated to talking about how's the anniversary so they talked about Mm -hmm. The documentary that I mentioned, but then they also talked about how things are still not great in Tulsa and like mm. they had people like doing stuff in support of Black Lives Matter. And I think they said like someone sprayed like graffiti for supporting it on some main street there. Yeah. And apparently like the next morning, less than 24 hours, that city people had already like washed it off. So, like, they're saying, like, stuff like that. They're like, yeah, things still aren't great here. And this is, like, definitely yeah. clearly, like, because, like, Greenwood, it's all, like, related. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it might have been 60 minutes that they had something, especially if it was last year. Because um, I always watch 60 minutes when I go home to visit my mm-hmm. dad. And because I ended up staying with him for, like, four months last year. That's why I feel like it was a 60 minutes thing, but they were even saying like that in their own like hometown, like they're not talked about it. Like the kids are not. Yeah, that's what I found too. Yeah, because it sounds like the main reason people who stay there didn't want to talk about it was because they thought it might stir up some tension and they didn't feel safe, Mm -hmm. which is like messed up. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Yeah, so interesting. Wow. Well, that was Yeah, cool. first massacre, first. Really <laughs> yeah, that was an, I thought yeah. that was really interesting. <laughs> so, 
It was, I like doing research on it, but I was like, uh, this is dark. Sad. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's a very sad thing to like research and find. But it's also like an important thing to like talk about. Too. Yeah, that's the only way people will remember so. what happened. Mm -hmm. Keep the awareness yep. of it. So, yeah, it's important. So anything else to add, or did you want to wrap up? Oh, I, I saw that we actually do have listeners now, and I think it was Newport. I saw Rhode Island. Anything so exciting? Yeah. That's exciting. Yay. <laughs> I don't know. Can't think of any other Yay. updates. I also told all of my coworkers about the podcast, finally, because I, I, was, I was leaving. And I just put it in an email, really? like the group email to all my coworkers. And I was like, hey, if you also like podcasts. And I told my man, my now my ex-manager, and he was so excited. So he's That's definitely so going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> so we might get more listeners because I finally caved and Yay! like told my coworkers. And now you'll have all new coworkers to tell. I know. One of them oh. already knows. Because <laughs> my old coworker used to work with me used to work at the place i'm going to he's now at a different place but he told the work study students about it so i was like Aww, oh okay nice. good <laughs> not even there yet and they're gonna be like oh yeah you're the <laughs> podcast girl yay spreading the word yay yes <laughs> so yes please spread the word if you listen to this podcast <laughs> It's always fun to see, like, what new listeners pop up, like, whether they're in the U.S. or out of the U.S. It's fun. Yeah. Australia was the last international place that was out of there. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Australia. <laughs> Thanks cool. again for listening to us talk for another episode. We release episodes every Thursday, but... There might not be a new one in the next week or week after that. I'm not sure. I'm going to be away for a week. So there may or may not be. There will either be one episode, new one, or two. Not sure. We'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll post on our Instagram to warn everyone so there isn't an angry mob if there isn't a new episode. We will let you know. Just keep checking Instagram. <laughs> so, but besides that, we release new episodes every Thursday, and you can listen to us on Spotify, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you find podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Oi with the Terror already. Uh, you can also send us in your scary stories, or if you want us to talk about a specific folklore or a specific murder you can send those into at our to our gmail at oi with the terror already at gmail.com yes and i guess we will see you all next week maybe <laughs> bye, bye.